Welcome to Ahead on Healthcare. This week, we're joined by Dr. Stephanie Lair, president of Artisite and former CIO and CMIO at Monument Health. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. I'm also joined by one of our client service partners at Ahead, Houdini Abtai. Uh, Houdini, thanks for joining me today on this conversation. I appreciate it, Jay. Um, today, um, we're going to start the conversation. It's a two-part series. Um, we wanted to have Stephanie really help us, help some of our viewers um, do a couple things. One, um, have a conversation about computer vision and also talk a little bit more about other AI technologies in healthcare. But we wanted to get that kind of foundationally straight um, before we talked about how you actually leverage AI and how it kind of impacts both the customer or the patient experience, the staff experience, the doctor experience to kind of level set in terms of understanding and capability. So first part of our series is going to be on kind of setting the foundation. The second part is going to be more on opportunities and leveraging AI. So um, to kick things off, you know, Stephanie, the, uh, there's a lot we've heard in the industry and in the market about AI, both healthcare and, and not in healthcare from it's uh, the scary boogeyman that's going to take all our jobs, going to ruin our lives. And if uh, you've watched, um, my wife and I were looked, went to Mission Impossible and we saw Mission Impossible, AI is going to take over the world and Tom Cruise is going to save us. All that being said, I think we should maybe start by discussing what types of AI there are and what are the uses in healthcare specifically? Because I think that will kind of help some of our listeners um, begin to set the foundation in terms of uh, use and definition. And we can kind of start the, the building on top of that after that. Yeah, no, I think that is a, a great place to start. I'm trying to figure out maybe how we can get Tom Cruise to come in and save healthcare, but uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be up to that task. Um, so those of us that are leading the industry, it's going to be our, our role. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, like any tool, um, there are upsides and downsides and uh, there's a lot of complexity. I think a really good corollary as people think, uh, start to begin a journey toward artificial intelligence is to think back a handful of years when we started uh, the conversations um, in technology around the cloud, right? And people used to say, oh, are, are you going to the cloud? And if, if you were on the receiving end of that question and you were on technology, you would like, well, what exactly do you mean by the cloud, right? Do you, are you talking about SaaS models? Are you talking about hybrid cloud, private cloud, public cloud? There were, there was this general broad understanding of like, hey, I, I hear there's this thing, the cloud that we all are supposed to be doing and working toward. And we really had to start educating ourselves um, as well as the constituents that we work with around what does that really mean? What are the pluses? What are the minuses? And so I think we're in a similar place with artificial intelligence right now is trying to create some of that groundwork understanding because it is a very broad topic, right? Artificial intelligence at its simplest form really just means the leveraging of various kinds of computer systems in ways that would act like what humans can do. Right. So if it, tasks that could be completed by a human 
now being completed by a computer is what the original kind of understanding was of artificial intelligence, which means not all artificial intelligence learns, right? You know, you watch things like Minority Report and all these different things. Everybody's hearing and seeing about these computers that are getting smarter and smarter and more and more sophisticated. That is absolutely a part of the artificial intelligence spectrum, but it's not everything. Pretty, you know, relatively simple automation um, and machine learning algorithms is a form of artificial intelligence if you think about it on the spectrum of replacing tasks that perhaps a human used to do. That could be, you know, assessing phone calls and deciding which route they should go to. That's a form of artificial intelligence. It's not as advanced as sort of the learning algorithms that we, um, I think, are really starting to talk about now. That kind of brings us into a lot of the focus in the last several months uh, has been around large language models because of, you know, the the onset of uh, the open AI models of GPT and, and some of these other large language model concepts that have come into place and, and now are finding their way into people's everyday lives, right? People are at home saying, uh, my my kids are talking about using this for their homework and the teachers are asking us to think about that. And actually a friend of mine is writing a book and they're using chat GPT to, you know, help in that process. And so that was great from the standpoint of it bringing it again, a little bit closer, a little bit more real. Um, maybe on the unfortunate side is right now for a lot of people, when you say artificial intelligence, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard about chat GPT. Well, chat GPT is one form of an artificial intelligence, large language model using natural language understanding and processing. Um, there are actually different kinds of large language models as well, right? And they do different things. And, and so, you know, we have to kind of break these down into right. segments. As you mentioned earlier, computer vision is a completely separate kind of artificial intelligence that, again, if you think back to what we mentioned earlier around if the foundational sort of um, definition is allowing it to do things that a human would do. Some of what artificial intelligence is directed at right now is mimicking things that humans do. So for large language models and other things, there's voice recognition, natural language understanding. For computer vision, it's leveraging cameras that can then interpret information that's coming in, have algorithms behind it that can make decisions. So broadly, I think that's kind of where we are. As we move into healthcare, we'll want to talk a little bit more even around whether artificial intelligence is really the word we want to be using or not. But I think we'll get there here shortly. That's interesting. You know, it's, it's funny. I was uh, not to uh, plug another podcast, but I, was, I do listen to other podcasts. There's one called uh, Medicine and the Machine. Uh, they had a, a few good uh, series on AI. and um, One was around kind of glucose monitoring and how, and at least this conversation is about how that was kind of one of the first big transformations. If you think about how AI was being used to perform tasks that physicians had to do kind of in tandem with patients for a long time, looking at patterns and reports and graphs to kind of see what the, the best kind of use of the monitoring technology was. Um, but kind of the end of the day, I think what, what the conclusion was is AI is really something that's meant to help get doctors back to the bedside. I mean, that's the it, it, at the at the heart of it. That's kind of one of the things that that this whole conversation was about. But I guess from from your perspective, you know, have you seen 
AI kind of in a setting where it made a huge impact? Or what would you say kind of the biggest impacts uh, of AI are right now? If you look to kind of either ROI or this big thing about customer experience or patient satisfaction, from your perspective, what do you think is, is kind of that needle turner? Yeah, I think there are actually several categories of this. You know, if we're thinking about that from the healthcare perspective, again, if we think about automation, we've been doing automation for a long time in a variety of different settings. Um, The analysis of information and creating predictions off of that information um, is something that, again, as you were just mentioning, the taking large volumes of, of glucose measurements, blood glucose measurements, and sort of figuring out what those next best steps might be. That's, you know, that's not replacing anyone, that's adding, right? And I think there's that then concept of in healthcare, do we really want to think about this more as in augmented intelligence? Because our physicians, our nurses, uh, our therapists, our pharmacists, we don't have enough of any of them. The amount of clinical information, um, as well as just uh, operational workflows and all the things that they need to be keeping straight uh, every day during during the time when they really want to focus on patient care is growing and growing and growing. So the only real way that we're going to solve the problem, that equation of, you know, we have more and more patients that need to be taken care of and fewer people to do it the only good solution out of that is then how do we help the people who are going to take care of those more and more people be more productive in the work that they're doing it and doing it in a way um, that really reduces burnout and reduces the friction for them. Because a lot of what we've done in the last several years with technology broadly is um, be additive and we just keep adding more tasks Mm -hmm. and that's leading to burnout and frustration. So I think, you know, we're starting in a lot of areas in healthcare. In my former role, one of the early things that we did was automating some simple things like incoming faxes to a health information management department. We, I mean, the number of faxes that health systems still get is, you know, sort of embarrassingly large, but we just haven't graduated from an ability to move beyond that. Artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence, you know, those NLP algorithms, large language model systems are really going to be a game changer in some of that, which really, if you think about that, does that help the doctor at the bedside? Well, it absolutely does, because first and foremost, the humans that are used to be doing the work can be graduated to a higher level task and help provide uh, more sophisticated assistance through their health system. Second, humans are more likely to make res- mistakes in repetitive tasks. And so by having that augmentation, we'll be more likely that those documents are finding their way to where they need to be so that the providers, the nurses, the physicians can all get access to that information. And then on the you know, further downstream end of that, if we've already used an analysis of a large language model or other kinds of simpler automation um, to file those records, it's only one next step to start to read and understand those and assimilate that information a little bit and, and bring that to clinicians. So again, if I look at some of the areas where I'm seeing early uptake and where people aren't so worried about 
what's taking over the world. And, you know, we should, we can talk a little bit about the black box of how algorithms are created and how we get past that. But I, I think another good example is, is what we're seeing in the, um, in the use of, of ambient language technology for completion of records, right? That's the system is not making diagnoses. It's not suggesting any kind of treatment, but it is reducing a lot of friction for clinicians and that patient experience, right? A physician or other provider that is sitting with a patient who can now look at them eye to eye, make great eye contact, have a great conversation, really understand the nuances of what's going on and feel that empathy and um, and then use their intellectual power to really be thinking through the problems and then have the note ostensibly write itself. We need the data. We want the note. But these are great ways where we're seeing an early takeoff and adoption and, and not a lot of pushback in this idea around leveraging artificial intelligence. And in this case, again, really more of an augmented intelligence um, in healthcare. We're moving into some other really exciting areas. And I know we'll talk more about Artisite and, and computer vision and, and really even what drove me to leave the provider side of healthcare to come and, and do artificial intelligence work in other spaces. But when we look at kind of what's really out there right now, those are some really good examples of things that have been out there for several years that have been marching their way forward and laying some of the groundwork. Um, on the clinical side, we're seeing work, uh, lots of work right now that is happening around diagnostic support, even some support um, from the standpoint of, you know, making recommendations on treatments. That's going to be more complicated, right? Because one, we, we've got to be really sure that we are addressing potential bias in algorithm development and that those are being honed locally um, so that it's representative of patient populations. And we're going to have to give our clinicians an understanding of what went into that um, so that they will trust that recommendation in the way that they've grown to trust other kinds of diagnostic tools. That's great. Thanks, Stephanie. That's awesome. That's great to hear. I mean, there's so much involved with the in the AI space, obviously. And, you know, just thinking about the pandemic being almost three years or a little bit over three years old now, um, everybody wants things faster and quicker if you think about whether it's drug creation or, or their applications. So I, I wanted to get your perspective on, you know, what do you think, how do you think AI has kind of changed how we implement solutions versus, you know, traditional software applications that we used to do in the past, uh, pre-pandemic? feels like AI may be um, leveraged differently. And I think, you know, your perspective would be great just to understand how you think that AI can be leveraged on uh, implementing solutions. Yeah, well, first, I think one of the cool things that we're going to see is even if you're talking about a traditional application, an ERP application, your EMR application, things like that, there we're going to see software developers using algorithmic opportunities, AI, proprietary large language model solutions, all kinds of things in the background to take their solutions further faster. So I think that's going to be cool to watch over the next few years. Even within our own company, we deliver a product at Artisite that leverages AI. Our developers are using forms of artificial intelligence on the back end to break that speed to market and you know create those tools. Um, but I think one of the interesting things that people on the provider side need to think about as we look at really bringing truly artificial intelligence tools 
into your environment. So whether that's leveraging large language models uh, for documentation or analysis of information and predictions or in the in the um, area of you know computer vision and some of the work that we do around falls assessments and, and turn um, parameters and things like that. A big difference between traditional software applications and artificial intelligence leveraging applications is that they're not where they need to be the day you turn them on. And with every software that you turn on, obviously there's always that, oh, we have our go live period. And during that go live, people are learning, but that's more about the people, right? The software itself is pretty much set. You're making some minor tweaks based on the fact that as the workflows are truly put into place, did you account for all of those things? And there may need to be some minor tweaks. And of course, people are learning a new software. But the expectation is on day one, all of the tools that you expect to have from that software are available. When you think about leveraging artificial intelligence, particularly more advanced learning algorithms, Those learning algorithms have to learn to perform at their best. And so as we think about delivering these technologies into the healthcare space, we have to build in the change management, the time, the communication, the understanding to say on day one, you're not likely to have the sophistication of the AI tool, whatever that may be, computer vision, large language, ambient, you know, listening tool set that you're going to have at the end of the first month or the second month or the first year. And in some cases, um, and we've seen this in a variety of spaces, those tools need to run in the background in sort of a silent mode gathering information, um, learning, and and getting that localization. Because really with artificial intelligence, um, the best models are going to be something that take into account their local environment. And honestly, that's a, a key thing that for, for CIOs, CDOs, et cetera, that are out starting to be looking and assessing what tools they want to bring into their organization, you really need to be having those conversations with the vendors around, okay, you say you use artificial intelligence tools. What exactly are they? Are they being localized to my environment or not? Is it a truly a learning model or is it not a learning model? In some instances, it may not be super important for it to be a learning model, but in others, it's going to be very important. Computer vision, again, is another area where when you think about the difference between even one hospital room in um, through one organization to the next, all of the variables that go into What's the lighting like? What what beds do they use? What gowns do their patients wear? Um, What's the demographic of their patients? Those things are elements that computer vision, as an example, needs to understand in order to perform its best. Um, Because interestingly, biases can be created. The computer looks for the easiest way to do things. So let's just use an example of if you were in a a patient room and the only patients that were in a room that you were running your model on were female patients um, around age 50 that were Caucasian. The algorithm is going to try to cheat, right? It's It's looking for similarities and it's looking for the easiest things. So what you could see happen when you move that to another patient population is 
it wasn't, you want it to identify the patient. Well, it now, if you, let's say, have a male um, Native American patient in his 20s, the algorithm might actually say, oh, I don't see a patient in this room. There's no patient in here. Right. And then you have to go back to the out, like, oh my gosh, we didn't even realize, like we were teaching you, no, it's the gown, it's the bracelet, it's all of these things. But the algorithm is doing some of its own elements of, you know, assessment. And so you have to have a diversity of elements that you include when you train the model. That's the vendor's job, right? We've got to do that. But then we need to continue to advance that in the individual and localized community where those artificial intelligence algorithms are going to be leveraged so that we can make sure that the performance of that algorithm is what it needs to be. Another piece around that related to the black box then is we as vendors are going to need to be able to share with our customers what kind of data was used in the development of the algorithm so that we can then move that forward and make assessments around, do we need to do any adjustments for your patient population? Children's hospitals are a great example. If our computer vision work was all done on adults, we've got some work to do with our first couple of customers in children's hospitals. Doesn't mean it's not good work to do and we'll need a partner to do that, but that transparency and collaboration is gonna be even more necessary when we talk about vendor provider relationships with artificial intelligence, because we're going to need to learn from your localized information. Yeah, that's, I, I love the metaphor you used around the, you know, the 50 year old patient versus the 20 year old patient. So it's a good way of kind of helping us understand a little bit more about how AI can be used um, in the healthcare space. You know, you know, you mentioned computer vision uh, a few times, and I, I wanted to see if we can kind of understand from your perspective, from in the most simplistic terms, what is computer vision? And, you know, thinking about, you know, we talked about Minority Report. It's crazy to think that, that movie is over 20 years old now. And it's like, how right. close are we to, you know, being in that Minority old. Report type of world? I know. I was thinking that too. I'm like, really? 20 years? 20 years? Is it 20 years? That hurts. Oh 21. Yeah, Tom Cruise looks the same. That's a whole other conversation. That's a clone. You think he's cloning himself. That's, yes. that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. Though. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, you know, computer vision is really foundationally taking visual inputs. So leveraging even just a regular, you know, sort of think about um, the kinds of the security cameras that people may have up in a hospital, a regular, you know, nothing special camera. But it's what you do with the feed of that information. Typically speaking, when you think about computer vision being leveraged um, for real-time assistance, first of all, that's not usually being then collected in the background. You want to think about it more as a digital window. So this is a, a camera like a human who is looking and that information is being brought into the brain Except in this instance, that brain is computers in a data center somewhere that have algorithms and knowledge in the background and experience and have been taught to understand what it is it's looking at and what to look for. So we'll use an example of, um, of falling. We can teach an algorithm um, and, and this is a couple of the ways that we teach computer vision is there has to be a combination of 
human in the loop training. So we can talk about that for a minute and then elements of, of self-supervised learning. So in human in the loop training, what that really means is a person who is watching or has is looking at the computer vision, either in real time or retrospectively, particularly in, in development of the algorithm. Um, so not in everyday use, but in development of the algorithm. The algorithm has to be taught. So a human is teaching it. It's putting boxes and circles and identifications around saying, this is what this is, this is what this is, this, and annotating those images so that over time, the computer vision, think back to when, again, I don't know if this was 20 years ago or not, but when there was the big internet report about we could, Google could tell the difference between a bunch of dots and Dalmatians in a picture, right? <laughs> so the way that was done was the first thousand of those, maybe hundred thousand of those were literally humans who went in and said, this is the dog, this is the dog, this is the dog, this is the dog and fed it into the algorithm. And so the first thing the algorithm learned to do was just be able to look at those same pictures again and say, oh, that was the dog. That was the dog. You then add further learning capabilities to the algorithms and it can then start to see a picture it's never seen before and say, hmm, that's the dog. And over time, those pictures can get more complicated and actually start to outperform the human, right? And say, oh, gosh, the human didn't identify that that was a dog, but the, the computer vision did. So that's human in the loop training and computer vision. And, and actually, a lot of language models require some of that as well. But for sure, computer vision requires an initial uh, assessment uh, interaction um, of a human with the algorithm to help create the explanations. Then you can use different forms of self-supervised learning. So algorithms that teach each other to then take that a step further and continue to iterate on itself. And so again, computer vision is really taking one of the senses. So large language models are taking spoken and written language and assessing and understanding and creating some kind of directional output from that. Computer vision is taking visual inputs and assessing that and then creating some kind of output. So we can teach an algorithm what it looks like, what the behaviors and movements of a human body might be that would suggest a potential risk for a fall. And so then if you think about in the hospital setting, when we're trying to monitor patients and prevent them from falling, and you think about augmentation and better together, you can have a human watch people through a camera and see if they fall. We've been doing that for quite a while. But if you layer on an algorithm that is watching the patient at the same time and providing cues to the person, it allows them to reduce that cognitive burden. Uh, instead of just scanning rooms, waiting to see something happen, we can provide advice saying, this room looks like there may be a concern look at this screen and those two elements come together. But that's really, you know, computer vision quite simply is just using a video input and then the brain behind it, that analysis and algorithmic output behind it is, is coming from a, a visual cue versus some other kind of cue. That helps me understand a little bit more. And I think that helps our audience as well. So thank, thank you for that, Stephanie. And, you know, it's interesting when you think about computer vision, you think of AI, you think of patient experience. Like I think it, all of these things kind of encompass 
um, patient experience as far as in the hospitals and things like that. And, you know, just thinking about different AI solutions. I mean, what other things do you think you should consider when you're picking an AI solution? I feel like there's a lot of AI solutions out there. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of established companies, but because AI is so, so new to the industry, uh, what things should, should we consider as far as selecting the right AI solution? Yeah, I think in addition to the elements we talked about earlier, which are deep conversations around how algorithms are developed, how they're localized, what what the goals and outputs of those are, and uh, any potential, you know, how how they account for biases and training. Those are key elements. But then I think a major part that we're going to see in the next few years that people are either going to do really well or are going to be redoing is thinking about things from a platform approach. A lot of artificial intelligence tools today are focused on one thing and one problem that they will solve, which is potentially a formidable formidable, task in and of itself and worthy of solving. The problem is we won't be able to support 30 different, as an example, let's use computer vision. If everything you want to use computer vision for, which let's say even in a hospital patient room, there over time we think of 15 to 20 things, some things for the physician, some things for the nurse, some things for the pharmacist, different, you know, different elements for different parts of the care team that would help them. And we're going to use computer vision to do that. If you buy point solutions for each of those, it is potentially possible that you could end up with 10 cameras in a room. If that, if there isn't interoperability at a minimum, interoperability of the hardware, but probably better than that, a, a platform approach, a company that you can solve multiple problems with is probably the ideal. But if you're going to buy a point solution, you need to be pushing those vendors to have interoperability on the hardware side because no health system is going to have the infrastructure back end to be able to support three and five cameras in the room because this one's watching for falls. This one's doing telehealth. This one's doing, you know, um, supportive documentation for providers. That platform approach does two things. It allows you to solve multiple problems and continue to think of new problems and work with a platform partner to do that. And then the interoperability of the hardware, if there does happen to be something where you do need to bring in another another vendor, or maybe the EMR is going to do some element of this and you need a video feed, you want to be able to consolidate that because when I think about you know my old role, the impacts to networking, um, to that backend infrastructure, none of these tools are going to perform the way they need to if the network is overwhelmed or you can't get, um, you don't have the access you need. So thinking about switch and port density capacity, um, thinking about network bandwidth and how that's being consumed and then being able to potentially layer on a platform where you can work with one company to solve multiple problems will help reduce both the backend infrastructure that is needed, as well as the investment, the financial investment that's needed in getting all of those elements up so that you can get an ROI on these tools because they have to be more than cool and they have to be more 
than helpful. Um, they have to have an ROI. And if you can find a platform partner to do those things with, you'll be much more likely um, to see those ROIs come to fruition or to solve trickier problems that really the only ROI might be, it just makes everybody a little happier. Well, when you have a platform that's already in place, you can solve problems like that because you've already made the investment. That's, that's you know, Stephanie, it's interesting, Tim, the stuff you're talking about, especially as it relates to modernization and ensuring that platform has an infrastructure that's going to allow it to kind of flex as needed, given the stuff you put on the platform. Because um, to your point, there are a lot of, I guess, use cases when you think about AI. Um, I guess when, when you think about use cases, are there, and you talk about savings, I think I was reading somewhere that, you know, if you looked at all the various potential use cases for AI, there's up to like $150 billion of savings potentially that could be generated by just leveraging AI. But I guess, is is that it, right? I mean, because you talked about customer experience or, or patient experience, um, staffing and kind of reducing stress and helping with some of the workforce and resource management associated with kind of demands of doing your job. It's kind of getting doctors back to the bedside. I mean, is there, is there a sweet spot you think? Is there something, you know, if, if you look at all those options, kind of infrastructure and modernization, kind of platform withstanding, is there something that, that you think is that sweet spot that this is where you think that there should be a, a focus first, maybe because you can build on it as you go, go on and kind of continue your journey? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, Workflow optimization and at the bedside friction reduction so that, for example, nursing staff who um, we know we have a significant, you know, major, major <clears throat> epidemic level shortage of, of nurses. And if we don't do something to improve their workflow, their lives, their satisfaction, that is only going to get worse. So thinking about the way advanced technologies moving into automation and then into artificial intelligence can set the stage for getting some of that friction out of the workflow, allowing nurses to focus on things at the bedside. Nurses spend 35% of their time, at least, on documentation. There's absolutely ways that through a variety of different kinds of artificial intelligence and automation algorithms that we can remove some of that documentation burden. Yeah. And actually, the great news is we'll probably end up with better data. Why? Because nurses at the end of the day want to and we want them to take care of the patient. When it comes down to making a choice between doing patient care and doing the documentation, Generally speaking, which cannot be done simultaneously, the nurse is going to choose the patient care every time. And we as humans who may be the recipients of that care would absolutely want them to choose deliver the care every time. But that means a lot of the documentation that we're asking nurses, physicians, and others to do is not as accurate, is not as good as we need it, refined as we need it to be. Because the next thing that we can do with automation and AI and algorithms, and we're seeing this in, in certain areas already where people are wanting to create predictions, which again, then we can improve care. We can improve patient experience. If we can predict 
patients that are going to need certain kinds of care earlier, then we can prepare for that earlier in the hospital, which then makes the doctor's job easier and the nurse's job easier and the administrator's job easier and the patient's experience better because we know what's going to, you know, we have a, a good idea what's coming down the line. We need really good data in order to make those kinds of predictions. To get the really good data, we have to be more sophisticated in how we capture it, which means not having humans capture it, which means probably leveraging things like NLP and computer vision to listen and see and understand using ultra wideband technologies to know where things are in space. If we know where things are, we can hear what's happening. We can see what's happening. That's a huge amount of information that we can start to leverage in ways we've never thought about leveraging before, which is then going to downstream um, improve the experience. And so I think it's, you know, we have, it's going to take time to get there. The very first thing we can do is look at some of the tasks that are creating friction for our bedside caregivers today and say, hmm, is there a way to automate that in some fashion? And if there is, let's do that and let's chip away at that. And then let's pick the next thing and chip away at that. It's not going to be the same at every single hospital. A children's hospital, as an example, their nurses have different friction points than um, an adult hospital. An ICU has different friction points than a med surge unit. So it's not going to be everybody doing the exact same thing. But I think it is going to be everybody looking at these high friction points at the bedside, relatively actually simplistic, and chipping away at those one by one by one, building the trust improving the experience for both the patient and the caregiver who now has more time to focus with them, and then building a better repository of data to allow us to then do more with that information over time. That's great. That's great. I guess uh, to, to sum things up, and I guess I wanted to get your your thoughts about, you know, if you looked at the market today, and, and we'll talk more about uh, Artisite in our next conversation, are there things that say in conjunction with using like an artisite, you should also be thinking about, you talked about a few of those, but I'm thinking there may be some things that are converging and you want to maybe get ahead of that convergence, possibly leveraging the platform and something like artisite. But are, are there things that you can see that might be converging that folks need to really get ahead of to ensure that they kind of, kind of ride some of those waves in terms of managing customer experience or patient experience? trends with staffing, that type of thing. Are there, are there cautionary tales you can provide to provide some, uh, some, some uh, lessons learned or at least some insight from your perspective? Yeah, I think that, um, again, artificial intelligence algorithms, any kind of predictions, they're all going to be based on the data that we have to analyze and teach the algorithm with. So honestly, one of the best things organizations could be doing today in order to set the stage for that in the future, and lots of organizations are focused on this, is data governance and data cleanup. Because, you know, you there will be a time where we may want to take, for example, information from, from your time and attendance platform or, you know, solution and bring it together with some real-time information that's being analyzed, for example, in Artisite for the nurses at the bedside. 
the only way we're going to be able to bring the, that new data set in, you know, the great thing about, you know, doing something with new with computer vision and NLP and, and doing it real time, that data set's being collected in real time and we can, we can deal with it right now. But if we're talking about sort of predictive things where we're going to need some retrospective data to add into that, that's going to create longer term predictions versus real time advice or a combination of both. We're going to probably bring in other data sets. And if the data in those data sets is inconsistent, is um, not well defined, you're not going to get out of it what you want. And so, again, I think it's there's going to be a convergence of a number of things that probably down the road we're going to look back and say, huh, I should have seen that coming. But I, I why did I not think that we'd be bringing those data sets together? I don't know exactly what all those are going to be. I wish I did, but I don't. So I would say in the meantime, going through this process of one, some application rationalization so that you've got the fewest number of applications possible to then go in and do really detailed um, data definitions and cleanup so that you can leverage that data in other ways down the road, I think is some really um, great work that can be done right now. It's it's not the most exciting. It's not the most fun, but it's going to be super, super important. That's great. Great conversation, um, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Great insights. Um, I think we provided our listeners with a lot of amazing information. Um, hopefully we didn't promote Tom Cruise too much. Um, this <laughs> but uh, thank you. I'm looking forward to our next conversation because what we want to do is dive deeper into um, Artisite and ask you a few more questions about how do you got, how did you get involved and where's the company going and you know how is Artisite actually helping um, given our conversation kind of move the needle with with uh, with some of the customers that you uh, you provide services to. Yeah, sure. I'm looking forward to that conversation and really appreciate the opportunity today. Excellent. Excellent. Houdini, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Stephanie. And again, thank you to our listeners. Um, look forward to our next episode coming soon.